0: So we are in already chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 12. The gospel makes a difference in the way believers love and live. Memory verse, 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 7 says, For God has not called us to impurity, but he has called us to holiness. The process of sanctification, that's the action of, of making or declaring something holy. So the experience of becoming a saint was when a believer is working and progressing toward moral and spiritual maturity and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him is what will develop those attributes. It's only determined, it's totally determined by having the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So you can't be holy except for that you have this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. It is a regeneration that begins at the event of salvation and the pastor has talked about that. He's talked about that we have that event of salvation and then we have this life work that we do on sanctification. Becoming the way God sets us aside to be for his purpose. And so he begins a refining process. God took the deliberate action to get us saved. It was his idea, not ours. He's the one that made the saving possible. He's the one that desired to continue relationship with us sinners. That he would go ahead and make that happen so when we come to god to be set apart and we appeal to him the holy spirit takes away our sin and then he takes away our bent to sin so the immediate act is that we're cleaned up and then he takes away our bent to keep on sinning so that we can don't continue to be thriving in that nature of sin we don't want to do that anymore as we become become transformed we want to take on the nature of God. We want to become Jesus in our world. So by God, for God, and to radiate the character of God, we become the person of Jesus to our friends and to our family. Titus 2 chapter um, verse 11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly pessimism and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So we want to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. But that training is what creates the sanctification process, and that seems daunting because when somebody first is saved, They're not too much different than they were yesterday, but they've made a decision to turn things over to a Savior who has already a plan to process for cleaning us up. So he starts from the inside, and he begins to work on it. Charles Spurgeon says that sanctification grows out of faith in Jesus Christ. Remember, holiness is a flower, not a root. It's not sanctification that saves, but salvation that sanctifies so what he's saying there is that the salvation process the holy spirit coming and indwelling us is what starts us into becoming a beautiful flower but we start as a root it's all underground people might not be able to tell so much in the beginning and then as the root comes up you watch in the spring we've been talking about the green grass growing and the beautiful flowers And it's fun to get, sometimes the kids have given me gifts where you get the the little bulb and you get to see the little root and it's shooting up and it's shooting up so quickly it comes up out of the earth and then you see the blooms blossom. Just about overnight you begin to see these beautiful flowers. That's what God has an intention for us. He wants to create fruit and beautiful flowers in our lives. Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Notice that is from God. He's in charge of making all of that happen. There's a wide gap between the two heart pictures the heart of stone and then God being able to give us a new heart of flesh. Something that's beating and thriving and growing and becoming can only come out of God. So transformation and sanctification are foundational to our lives as Christians. And what begins with salvation as we invite Jesus into our heart with healing becomes something that we let him into the deepest broken areas of our heart And then he begins to change and heal and transform those broken places in our heart. David knew about this in his heart when he said, search me, O God, and show my heart, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. He opened up his heart to God. He allowed God in to know his heart. And remember we talked about before that, the enemy doesn't have the ability to know our thoughts in our heart, but God does. And see, he says, if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way to everlasting. Have you prayed that prayer? Have you been willing to open up your heart that God is allowed into those broken areas, to the places where you're sinned, where you've broken up, where, you're, where you need healing, So that's why Jesus sent his Holy Spirit was to transform us and to bring areas to our mind to work on. So we can't really be in charge of what God is working on in different people, just what he's working on in our lives. And maybe we are impatient as a family member that's a new Christian is working through their process of sanctification. We have to trust the Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing to their mind what they are to work on. But we get God's heart to forgive because it's not of our sin nature to be a forgiving as God is. The Holy Spirit persuades us to follow the truth and to be a forgiver like Jesus. Philippians 1, 6 says, he is being confident of this very thing. We would be able to be a forgiver. He who has begun a good work in you will complete it in the day of Jesus Christ. Our life will be continuous journey to be holy. So we're working on becoming saints. So our first passage this morning is First Thessalonians, Thessalonians 4, verses 1 and 2.
1: Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Okay,
0: so this is a transition point in the letter from Paul. So from this point on, Paul sets out to instruct the church how to live and how to love and how to have an expression of their faith in Christ. So notice his language. He says, Brothers and sisters... And he doesn't just say brothers, he says brothers and sisters. He acknowledges the church as a body and he acknowledges the church as a unique relationship, a family. We are a family. Back in Genesis, God set up the family. Adam and Eve had children and they shared a home and the parents brought, being under the same parents brought closeness to the children. They had a common meal time and a common set of values that they were taught. And then that picture is pulled in to represent the early church. They met in homes, they ate together, they probably worked together. They had very much in common. I have three sisters that I love dearly. So for me to use the word sister is a really high honor when I say that I think of you as my sisters and brothers in Christ. Because we grow up with that fondness and that deep love in our families that God gives us additional deep love to be able to have for our church family. So we learn that we are supposed to be a family. In Ephesians 5.21, it says that we're to submit to one another out of reference to Christ. And in the body of Christ as brothers and sisters, then that is a direct opposition to our sin nature. We allow God to crucify the selfish sides of ourselves, that we might have a selfish agenda, and that he would allow us to become giving and loving and sharing like we would in our own families. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking for your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So the family of brothers and sisters in Christ, get this, they trust each other. In a world where there's not any trusting going on, who do you trust? And it looks like we can do that in the family of God, doesn't it? I bet you feel very trusting toward the people that you love in this church. So it says that we have humility and that we trust one another. And that's a healthy relationship. Paul reminds us that a new family in Thessalonica wanted to please God. Those are important words that we would spend time figuring out how to please God. And he said that started with knowing the commandments of God and knowing the precepts of God's word. So how do you please God? Well, he chose you. He initiated the relationship. So that would be a starting ground that you would acknowledge that he's someone that you should give reverence to. And so that's the starting place. But there was a lot of scripture about pleasing God. In Hebrews 11, 1, it's 11 verse 6, it says, but without faith, it's impossible to please him. So a very big deal starting place is to have faith. And remember, he's the one that gives us the faith to start with. So we just turn that back around into pleasing him by accepting his grace. It says that we please him that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of him that diligently seeks him. The next thing that the scripture tells us, Romans 8, verses 6 through 8, that we're supposed to be spiritually minded. We're supposed to be thinking about God. We're supposed to be in thought of his desires. For the carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded brings us life and peace. And there is a that it says those in the flesh cannot please God. But Paul says in Philippians, think on good things. Remember, he told us whatsoever is good and noble and truth Those are the things we're supposed to put our mind on, and we're not supposed to be dwelling in the gutter and allowing ourselves to go to those sadistic things that are demonic. And then another way that we can please God is just by understanding our position with him. Psalms 147 verse 11 says, The Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him and in those who who have hope in his mercy. This psalm is speaking to the one who heals the brokenhearted and binds up the wounds. So in verse 3 the psalmist is not terrified with God. He's acknowledging God's position and that we should understand his power in our lives. So there's a proper respect and fear, not terror, not terrified, but understanding who we are places us in respect to God in the way that it is pleasing to God. It motivates us to avoid sin. It reminds us that we're accountable to God. Sometimes if you just see the police car on the side of the road, your speeding is gone almost instantaneously. And just acknowledging that God is watching and that he set some boundaries in our lives shows we fear him, we respect his rules and that he set precepts for our lives. Another way we can please God is knowing his commandments. And we have to study so that we can please God and obey him. 1 Samuel 15:22 says, behold, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. So he doesn't really just want us to bring a bunch of tithes over here every Sunday to cover up for all the sinning we did all week. He understands our heart. Deuteronomy 10, 13 says his laws... and and his ways are beneficial. As a result of obeying him, we grow in godly, righteous character. So as we obey him, it actually creates character in our lives, and that is beneficial to us because people who have character and are following the rules and are doing things the way they're supposed to end up being good people to employ, and they end up Getting up in the morning and going to work and doing the things they're supposed to do. And then that creates the beneficial things that we need for having existence in our lives. So it's beneficial for us to follow God's commands. And if we follow his commands, it's so interesting. The world has picked up on some of those precepts being extremely good. I get a a little look just from the humanism side of things because of my work And I'll see that the latest speaker now in the humanistic pursuit of happiness will pick up another concept from Christianity. Unfortunately, they just pick up a a characteristic that they can't really support with the Holy Spirit like we do, but they see that it's beneficial. They see that it's creating good workers. The research is really clear that Christians are good to employ that Christian marriages last better than secular marriages, even if it's not a huge amount, that there's some benefit that marriage produces more well children. And there's a lot of things that are picked up in the psychological studies. They're Christian precepts, and the world looks in and they try to pull out one. The latest one I've heard them pull out is the word hope. So they're trying to graduate the word hope into their lives. Just to hope is just a, just a good thing in itself. But hope is Christian. It's all ours because we're the ones that are founding our hope in Jesus and understanding eternity through Christ. So interesting that they would pull out some of the precepts, but they can never have all the benefits because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Finally, we please God when we do God's will, which is to draw near to God, become aware of his will. Hebrews 13 verses 15 and 16 says, Let us offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, thanking him for such sacrifices to God is well pleased. In other words, he likes for us to come together corporately today and give praise and glory to his name, to honor him, to say thank you for the things he has done, to be grateful for this beautiful earth and to praise him for the answers to our prayers. Drawing near to God will bring us the condition to transform us and to please him. Our obedience and our priorities then become his priorities. So I don't know what the markers are in your life. Do you have evidence of pleasing God? Could somebody look at your life and see that you are pleasing him? Do you offer a sacrifice of praise out in the world when you're shopping or when you're with friends or or maybe with people who don't know the Lord? Do you just offer that sacrifice of praise anyway? Do you celebrate and work to achieve God's will? Are you seeking to obey him, maybe there's an area that you're struggling with, and you know that's where you fall, and then you know that's where you sin, you know that is, and so you've turned that over, and you're, you're working on obeying his commandments, and sometimes it just starts with that little small, I'm just going to focus on this one command this week, and I'm just going to put my full attention on it. And God begins to clean us up and make us more sensitive to our sin and, and sanctify us and make us less okay with sinning. That's the journey. That's how we seek to obey his commands. You are a testimony of Christ to the world. And the world is paying attention. They are looking at what we are doing. So the next part of our scripture then that we're reading is 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through
1: 8. But I've got to do something first. Uh, When you read that passage of scripture about to obey is better than sacrifice, there's a song I used to sing, and part of it goes like this To obey is better than sacrifice. I want more than Sundays and Wednesday nights. For if you can't come to me every day, then don't bother coming at all.
0: That when you read it, I just
1: couldn't stop. That's all right, but every time I hear that, that runs through my head. I love it. Thank you. You're welcome. This scripture reads, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. This means one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner. Because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Thank you,
0: Diane. I love that. If you want to throw in a song any time with the scripture, we're all good when with I that. It, those
1: are the things that go through my
0: head. I love it. Paul cuts right to the core with his instruction on living God's will. So in these five verses, he contrasts the life of impurity with the life of purity and holiness. The word holy is a word that we say for God. I do. Holy, exalted, or worthy of complete devotion, as one is perfect in goodness and righteousness. But in this context, Paul's saying we need to be holy and he's saying it in that we are completely holy as in completely devoted to holy God of the universe as you draw close to holiness you pick up these attributes of holiness as you draw closer in relationship you begin to become like that person you begin to share qualities And we know that when Moses went into the presence of God, that he would come out and he would have the Shekinah glory of God shining. And people would not even be able to look directly at that indirect reflection of God. The more we are with God, the more we will be holy. We are supposed to be set aside for God. We're supposed to be separated from the worldliness and impurities of this world. And so Paul goes straight to the hard place, and he addresses that holiness for new believers has then to avoid sexual immorality. In verses 4 and 5, he says that we have to control our bodies. He teaches consistently that human sexuality is to be expressed within limits. We know from history and our present day that it doesn't come naturally to human beings to be limited. It's a discipline, and it has to be pursued. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 through 20, Jesus says that he has authority over our bodies, and so believers need to have discipline over their body, and that includes the body passions. Sexual immorality contradicts God's purpose. Lustful passions do not show respect or honor to ourselves or others. And Paul says people who place no limits in satisfying their lust do not know God. He's very clear. Paul was assuring new believers that God the Father and his Son were not like the pagan gods of their time who adopted and had an extravagance all of the sin natures that were definitely exploiting people, and sexual immorality was part of that. Paul was assuring them that Jesus was nothing like that. Paul uses the word transgress, which means to cheat or cross boundaries. Violating trust is one of the cardinal results of sexual immorality. Someone always loses when sexuality leaves the boundaries that God set for marriage. Passion can demean, manipulate, exploit. It always always causes someone to put themselves ahead and put in the backseat the other person. They just become selfish. Paul reminds us that God is the avenger for the unspeakable offenses that occur from unbridled passion. Please pray for our Christian influence in a world that exploits children, that exploits women and young boys and men for money, for power, for unsatiable desires and trafficking and pornography and solicitation of their innocence, even as children. I may have told you this, but in one month in 2016, there was enough pornography on the internet that would have been everything that had ever been written up until that time. There was so much pornography. Just one month had gone out to this world. It is a huge, big problem. God does not turn his head to these new societal norms that destroy marriage and that destroy the family. And we shouldn't either. And we are going to have to take a stand against the new languages and the new definitions. The church can be loving, but the church does need to reject the impure lifestyles that are being thrust upon us as normal and the new norm and the new definitions. And you're a bad person (laughs) if you don't agree. The church has to be one place to stand. So we will understand that the church can be a loving place for the sinner to come. Even though the church does reject the impure lifestyles, the church is the place where sanctification happens, where the person can go from impurity to holiness. So let's come to our last scripture then, which is 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 through 12.
1: About brotherly love, you don't need me to write you because you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. In fact, you are doing this toward all the brothers and sisters in the entire region of Macedonia. But we encourage you, brothers and sisters, to do this even more, to seek to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, so that you may behave properly in the presence of outsiders and not be dependent on anyone.
0: Thank you. So we are daily to love one another. Brotherly love. Brotherly love. The word Philadelphia is the word brotherly love. And it usually, in their culture, in the Greek culture, referred to love within a family. So again, just as we spoke at the beginning, as he started out with this brothers and sisters, he reminds us that we're a big family. And the kind of love that he wants us to see, the picture of the church family, is to have brotherly, like family love, the kind kind that's forgiving and keeps on going, we're a little more hesitant to drop our brothers and sisters. Not that you might not, but we're a little more hesitant to drop them than we are people outside our families. We have to be that unconditional within the church. We have to be not willing to just give up on the relationship so easily. So Paul contrasts that love to the selfishness that sexual immorality did represent. He was sharing with the church that selfish love of yourself exploits others. And it's a very huge opposite of brotherly love that causes the believer to serve one another, to share their, their means, to give to one another, to, to do work for one another, to find a way to help one another. And then Paul gives us some directions. I love these directions. This is a good place for us to end this morning. He says, live a quiet life. Did you think about that this week as you read that? Live a quiet life. When your life speaks your faith and when you live for Christ, you will be at peace. That will exhibit a special calmness. He's not saying don't speak up. He's not saying be in a corner and not ever speak up and and be a witness for christ he's saying give evidence to people that you have peace that passes understanding within your life then he says mind your own business did you know that came out of the bible mind your own business it seems like such a mean way to tell people to get out of get out of your nose but It actually comes from Paul, and it makes it reminds us that Paul was such a direct relationship man. He was involved with people. Remember, he was working side by side with these people. He knew who was fussing. He even, in some of his letters, talks about the women and who's actually by name, names them out (laughs) that they're causing trouble with in the church. So he understands human nature. He understands our need to get in the middle of each other's business. You see something that you don't understand and it gets on your mind. He says, mind your own business. <laughs> we can smile at that, but we understand that it is important for us to focus on the important things. And sometimes getting involved in somebody else's business is time wasted because you can't mess with their business. You can't change their business. It's become gossip. It becomes um, something that you shouldn't be in the mental of. Pretty good advice. Live a quiet life. Could you see how minding your own business could lead you to have more of a quiet life if you weren't all up in somebody else's business? Paul is very straightforward with us this morning. And then he says, work with your own hands. So each of us can contribute to life. In our contribution to the work of life, he reminds us that there's work to be done. And so some people have different abilities and some people can work different ways and we can't, we're not all able to do the same things. And maybe you have a less abilities than you had before, but now you can take a different job. When I'm teaching um, life support at the hospital, I remind the nurses that the person who's being resuscitated only has four minutes of good brain. So if I am the one doing the chest compressions and I am not doing them well, push me over, take that job, because it's important to that person that we're saving their life to keep their brain going. (laughs) So sometimes we do see that someone can no longer do this job as well. And so we say, let's let you do this job. So in that that example, i say to them, they can do the Ambu bag. It doesn't take as much strength, but somebody really strong has to do the compressions. So there are places where we turn over one ministry to another person and we take on a different ministry. But we still keep doing things. We don't quit. We can all still pray. I know some of your ministries are praying and sending cards and making telephone calls. Those are really big deals. Those are huge big deals. And they are important. And they're not less than any of the other things like the preacher preaching to us. All of that keeps and knits our body together as we serve together. So direct benefits come to your life when you have a quiet life and mind your own business and work with your hands. You will exhibit correct behavior, he says. He says, what will happen if you do these things? You're witnessing with strength, but quietly, calmly facing the world, not not going berserk over every new bad thing that happens you're minding your business, you're doing, you're continuing your ministry. The result of that is just this beautiful picture that kind of matches where he has been all along with this whole study in 1 Thessalonians. You're going to be behaving in just the right way to be caught. To be caught by our Lord when he comes back. That's just what you want to be doing when he comes back. You want to be caught doing his work. You want to be doing the right thing. You want to be the one that's was out there. The pastor wants to be by the bedside of Miss Nancy. (laughs) If the Lord comes back today, he wants to be caught visiting the sick. Don't you want to be caught right in the middle of that prayer or in the middle of writing that card or taking that food to someone or helping that person that you know can't do their yard work so you're helping them out? You want to be caught doing those things. And then he says that we when we are living a life that way we would also not become dependent on others because we're contributing we're all working together so paul goes straight for the truth he made it a priority in his whole life to work for his food and pay his own way and he encourages us to do that not that there isn't provision in the church to for people who cannot any longer take care of themselves that's when we all join in and we take care of them But he says in our situations, we need to try to make attention to our only daily survival. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm looking at the scripture and I see there's so many things that I need to be doing, I sometimes need a scripture like this that reminds me that God does know that I'm supposed to take care of myself and my family, that I'm supposed to go to work, that those things he pays attention to. He understands our activities of daily living, that you have to cook your meal, and that you have to take care of your body and that you have to go to the doctor and that there are things that you have to do in order to be his temple that can go and do ministry. He actually celebrates that with us. He wants us to do that because when we take care of ourselves, we are honoring him because we belong to him. We are created in his image. He designed us as a church to be his temple. And so he wants us to take care of ourselves. And so that leads us then to live a quiet life, mind our own business, work with our hands, be found behaving in a pleasing way as the Lord could come back anytime. time. Let's pray. So Father, thank you so much for this beautiful day and this great Sunday school class that loves you so much. Thank you for sanctifying us. We thank you that you are working and dealing in our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that you continue to refine us, that you are making us into saints, making us more like Jesus every day, more of your witness, more of you into the society of darkness. Lord, please help us to avoid the sins that distract us and cause us to become frantic and not to live the quiet life, to become distracted so that we don't do the work that's designed for us. Lord, just would you just give us an opportunity this week to be Jesus in our world? In Jesus' name, amen.